Since the summer, we have been hearing lessons from the very beginning of the Old Testament, the first five books known as the Pentateuch, or to our Jewish friends, the Torah, the law. They are the center of the Jewish faith and the foundation and the bedrock of the Christian faith as well. We've heard the story all the way from the creation of the universe and of this world and of human beings through to the calling of Abraham and Sarah into a new life, the founding of a nation of Israel, the exodus of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt into a new and strange land. And today we hear the final story in this series, and it leaves us with a strange feeling. Moses has led his people a miraculous journey from Egypt to the very crest of seeing the land that has been promised to him and to the rest of his people. And in what at first seems like a cruel act, the Lord shows Moses Moses this promised land right before his own death. Moses never enters the land himself. Rather, he spent his entire life bringing his people up to the very edge of it. And yet he himself cannot taste the sweetness of entering into the promise that God has given to him and to his people. Many people find this to be a disturbing story, one of God withholding from us the greatest pleasures that we could have in our lives. Moses was such a faithful servant to God. How could he punish him this way? It seems tantalizing simply to hold out that vision of the promised land but then without the fulfillment of entering into it. And yet what this story teaches us is what it means to be a people of faith. It was by faith that Moses led his people. It was by faith that they were delivered out of slavery, by faith that Abraham and Sarah made their journey, by faith itself that all of this creation exists. Being God's people means being people of faith. Faith in the future. Faith in the values that we are taught. Faith in the goodness of God to all people. Faith in one another. We are to be people of faith. Not people of comfort. Not people of contentment. Not people of self-satisfaction. Instead, As God's people, we are to be those who carry within us the flames of faith when it seems that we are walking in darkness. We are to be the people who know and believe with our full selves that the promised land is out there and that we will get there, even if we don't see it in our own lifetime or our children's lifetime or many, many lifetimes to come. That's what this story teaches me. And I think that we need this lesson more than ever. Because we live in a society that doesn't value faith. We live in a society that values proof, certitude. In many ways, that's okay. 
I mean, after all, if there's something wrong with my body and I go to the doctor, I don't want the doctor to act on faith. I want the doctor to run some tests to show me scientifically what is going on, and then maybe to prescribe a drug that has been tested and gone through clinical trials regulated by the FDA, or to perform a surgery which has been tried thousands and thousands of times before so they can say with accuracy what the percentage possibility is that it will work. If I go to the dentist and I have a cavity, I don't want the dentist to put on a blindfold and say, I'm going to fill your tooth by faith. Rather, the faith is built into the interaction itself. When you think about it, faith and certitude are really partners. I go to the doctor in the faith that the doctor is going to use the scientific tools that she has to heal me. I go to the dentist because, well, I've been going to him for almost 20 years, and he hasn't pulled all my teeth out yet. But when we go too far into certitude, then all of our relations, and in fact, all of our life becomes transactional. If the doctor doesn't heal me, then something's gone wrong, and maybe I can file suit. If the dentist does a bad job, then I'll leave a bad review on Yelp or tell people not to go see him. Because my faith has been broken, or rather, the terms of our transaction have not been fulfilled. Can you imagine trying to have that kind of relationship with God? God, you didn't fulfill the terms of our transaction that I dictated. Therefore, I'm leaving a bad review for you, for all to see. And yet, that is what we do all the time, dictating to God what we want, like we're in some kind of consumer relationship. When the doubters, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, and the scribes ask Jesus what the greatest commandment of all is, they're trying to trick him. But he boils it all down to this. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. And there's a second one, too. You should love your neighbor as yourself. That's not a transaction. That's not a contract. That's faith. Having faith in God, that God loves you, that God loves this world, that God loves all people, even your enemies, even the people who seek to do you harm. You can only believe that by faith. And there will never be any kind of proof that will ever be strong enough or good enough to prove to you that that commandment is true. You simply have to act by faith. Even if you don't see the promised land that you think that God has promised you to see. When we become people not of faith, but who demand certitude at all times, it makes us smaller. It makes us smaller as individuals and as a society. It degrades our relationship, reducing them to consumer interactions or some kind of political game. It make us, makes us too outcomes-focused not believing in the process or the relationship 
of what actually brings people together and moves humanity forward. And hear me out on this one. When we become people who are no longer people of faith, it makes us obsessed with money. Why money? Well, because we live in a money-obsessed society to begin with. And when all else fails, money is always there. Money is something to strive for. It doesn't talk back to you. It's not something you have to have a two-way relationship with. It's a number on a page or some bills in your pocket or a group of numbers that says something when you open up your phone and look at your Venmo app. Money can provide certitude. I say that this thing costs $100, and you give me $100, then I have that $100 and you have that thing. It's all done. But that transaction says nothing about the faith that exists between us. If you give me $100, it doesn't mean that you love me. If I give you that thing, it doesn't mean that I love God. There's no faith involved at all. It's simply certitude. And it's that certitude that can make us ever more cynical and drive a wedge between us and our God and the values that our God has handed down to us for generation upon generation. It's not for nothing that in the letter of 1 Timothy, it says, the love of money is the root of all evil. Today at All Saints Church, we begin our 2024 stewardship campaign. We do this every single year. We come together and are bidden as a community to examine our relationship to our money and to those material things in our lives, and then to ask what it all means. At the end of that process, we decide in consultation with God what it is that we will give to the ministry of this place in the year to come. When I was in seminary, I thought that this would be a really difficult thing to do each and every year. After all, I just wanted to be a priest. I didn't want to be a fundraiser. But as time has gone on, I've come to value the stewardship campaign and the whole process, and even to enjoy it. I enjoy it because now I understand that there's no way to be a Christian without being really serious about thinking about your relationship with your money. And don't take it from me. Take it from Jesus. You probably know that he talks about money about 20 times more often than he talks about prayer. And why do you think that is? It's because, as he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's worth it once a year to take a little season and imagine where your heart is. It's easy to find because it's where your treasure is. That's what Jesus says. So that's what the spirit of this stewardship campaign is. It's a matter of using our money to examine our relationship with God and our relationship with God to decide what we're going to do with our money. 
That type of deep spiritual discernment about material things happens so seldom in our society. We're almost never given the opportunity to do that. And why? Why is that? Well, because if you thought a little bit too much about how your money and your personal values were connected, you'd probably start doing something differently with it. Everything from sales pitches to the labor market to everything else that makes our society and our economy go, most of them cause us to distract ourselves from what we really think is the relationship between our money and our values. But it's in this season that we, as people of faith, take a look and we think about how it is that money might be putting a wedge between us and God. Is your money helping you to love God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind? Is your money helping you to love your neighbor as yourself? Is your money helping you to be a person of faith? Someone who believes in the process of God's goodness and doesn't demand to enter into the promised land yourself. If your money isn't doing these things for you, then it's probably doing something else. But the good news is that money is just money, and you can do with it whatever you want to. You can use it for good, you can use it for evil, and most of us use most of it to do something in between. But in this moment, let us give ourselves some agency over this relationship that we have with our money. And let us begin to imagine what we could do to make this world look more like the kingdom of God just by using a few dollars. Over the course of the next few weeks, you will hear stories from people about their relationship to God and their money and about how this place has transformed and changed their perspectives on those things. We'll have a series of Sunday forums. We will go deeply into what it means to be people of faith and the types of ministries that we can offer back to this church. And we will celebrate the abundance that God places into our hands while imagining what God might be able to do in this place and in our community, if only with our help. We, after all, are Christ's hands and feet in the world. We're also his pocketbook. So friends, let us be people of faith. Let us walk forward in the knowledge that the promised land truly is out there. And whether we see it or not is not up to us. What's up to us is our faith, our values, and our certainty itself that God and God's goodness will never abandon us because we belong to God. And that is an article of faith. Amen.